If you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Psalm chapter 34. Psalm 34 this morning, and we're going to read a familiar verse, one that if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard in various different songs. Uh, and, and I want to look at the context of this verse and ask ourselves an important question. Your important question this morning is, have you ever been bored at church? Some of you are already nodding off right now, even I've not even gotten started yet, you know. Jeremiah is bold enough to not only raise his hand, he was doing jumping jacks back there to keep himself awake. Have you ever been bored in church before? Have you ever nodded off in church before? Have you ever maybe just been tired or distracted or whatever it might be and and church just isn't as exciting as you think it should be? At a previous church, not at this one, so I'm not calling out one of our deacons here. At a previous church, we had a a deacon who slept through every Sunday morning service I think we ever had. And bless his heart, he, uh, he did work nights, and so typically he was faithful enough to get off of work Saturday morning after working all night and come to church, and he was tired. And I will say, to his credit, Although he slept through every single service we ever had, something must have soaked in because he always had something to complain about after the service, you know? (laughs) Have you ever been bored at church? Have you ever been tired at church? Have you ever thought, this just doesn't do it for me? I want to talk this morning about why we sometimes are bored. Why we come to, to worship on Sunday mornings and we don't always get something out of it. And I think the fundamental problem is not with church, although confession, we can make things exciting from time to time. I think the problem is not with church, it's usually with our hearts and with our own attitudes. I'll say, you can go to church somewhere, probably here in Robinson, maybe here some Sunday mornings, maybe some big city or a mega church somewhere, and you can have a really vibrant and exciting experience Something that peps you up and keeps you awake. Something that the music is loud enough you couldn't fall asleep. Something where the the pastor is is so funny that he just keeps you on the edge of your seat. Something that that you hang on his every word so that you can tweet what he just said in live live settings. Uh, You can go to a church where you can get all of this excitement. And maybe from time to time you come to First Baptist and you have that same excited feeling here. But sometimes we feel like we're missing something. Maybe another related question is, why don't people come to church? And I don't mean specifically, why don't people come to First Baptist Church, but but what keeps people from coming regularly and faithfully on Sunday mornings? Maybe even more importantly, what keeps Christians from coming to church on a regular basis? I think a lot of times, if we're honest with ourselves, is there are things that are more exciting to us than church. We get more out of other activities. We have more fun doing other things, or maybe we're tired and we just need sleep. I want to address some of these questions this morning, and I want to do so by reading Psalm 34, verse 8. And then we're going to read the the entire passage as well, or a big chunk of it. But let's just start off with Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I really like this verse. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that God is a good God. This is one of these 
coffee mug verses. You can slap it somewhere, and by itself it sounds really good. And often we pull it out of its context and lose its meaning. But can I tell you, Psalm 34, verse 8, the context is is emphasizing this verse. I want to read verses 1 through 10 together, but but before we do, I want to share with you what verses 1 through 10 are going to teach us. It's going to tell us to taste and see for ourselves that the Lord is good. Let's go back to verse 1 and read together. Psalm 34, verse 1, starts off this way. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. Just pausing on those first three verses, does this sound like an exciting worship experience that the psalmist is writing here? I think so. This, this isn't a boring worship. This is an exciting. Magnify the Lord. Let us exalt his name together. He continues, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are, are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer and want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The psalmist is writing us in Psalm 34 to taste and experience. See for yourself that the Lord is a good God. I think the psalmist writes this psalm backwards. And by backwards, I don't mean he did it wrong. I think that he's starting with the ending place and working backwards to explain to us why exactly we should worship fervently. And so we're going to kind of work backwards in this and talk about what I mean towards the end of the message on why I'm saying it is backwards. The first thing I think we have to do, the first thing we have to understand is that God wants us to experience Him. God wants you to experience Him. What do we mean by that? Now, first of all, what I don't mean is God wants you to value your experience and your feelings above his written word. That's not what I mean, and that's not what this passage would tell us. As a matter of fact, we know that God has revealed himself so that we can experience him in two ways. The first way is through the word of God, his written word. God has revealed himself to us through the Bible. And secondly, it's through his son, Jesus Christ. He has given us salvation through Christ. We experience salvation through the revelation of Christ. All of these are found within Scripture, right? Scripture testifies to itself. Scripture testifies to Christ. Any experience we have must be matched up with our revealed word in the word of God. So when I say God wants you to experience him, I don't mean God wants you to have some warm, fuzzy feeling. That's not what the psalmist is writing, and I don't think that's what any of Scripture would tell us is our first step in getting an exciting relationship with God. 
Instead, God wants you to experience him in a way that is different from just hearing about him. He wants to have a relationship with you. And that's why our key verse this morning says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't just take my word for it, but, but experience it and taste it. I use my wife's baking often in my illustrations because uh, I think she bakes a lot of really good things. So uh, I would like to tell you about something I'm sure you have not had before. Our favorite dessert at our house is when my wife makes cookie bars. Now, you've probably had cookie bars, but not like my wife makes cookie bars. Let me explain to you exactly what cookie bars are and see if it makes your mouth salivate or not. So, so cookie bars basically are a combination of some sort of graham cracker, semi-sweet chocolate, sweetened condensed milk, butter, and vanilla. Is that about right? Somewhere in some proportion, mixed together and baked in an oven. Cookie bars have the, the thickness of a cookie so you can pick it up and eat it, but they're gooey in the middle so they're that softness of a brownie. A warm cookie bar with cold ice cream is oh, so good, so good. I would like to tell you all that cookie bars may be the greatest dessert that have ever been made in the history of desserts. I love my wife's cookie bars. Now, I hope that as you're sitting there, you're thinking to yourself, I'd like to try one of these cookie bars sometime. Maybe Hannah should make enough for the entire church. So that's Hannah's application this morning. You need to bake about 100 cookie bars for next Sunday. But, but for the rest of you... I, As you're sitting here, you're thinking about what a cookie bar might be, and you're going, okay, I've had something similar to that. Graham crackers may be new, but how does that taste different from uh, different ingredients? And and what exactly is the gooiness, and how gooey, and is it too gooey? And and I can describe a cookie bar to you. I really can. And you can probably right now think, that sounds pretty good. But there's nothing like getting your fork or just getting your gooey fingers in a cookie bar and taking a bite and tasting it yourself. There's no describing food, really, is there? Sometimes it's just, you've got to try this for yourself. That's what the writer of this psalm is telling us. Don't just hear about God. Don't just listen, but but experience Him. Taste Him and see that the Lord is good. It's a reminder to us that, that knowing about God is important But we will never know enough about God to earn salvation. We have to experience that salvation on our own. And by the way, that is the experience that that God wants you to have. It's not a warm fuzzy. It's not that you get emotional. It's not that you you get excited. It's It's that you have experienced for yourself His goodness in salvation. Oh, taste and see that the Lord has saved you. Oh, taste and see that the the Lord redeemed you. Oh, trust in Christ enough so that you can experience the salvation for yourself. Can I tell you, when we're reminded about our salvation, it is hard to be bored. When we understand that God has redeemed us from our sin, we have tasted it, we have seen it, and we know the goodness of God. God wants you to experience Him this morning. God wants you to know Him personally, to have a relationship with Him. God wants your experience with Him to to be certain in your salvation. 
When you come to church on a Sunday morning, the first thing you need to ask is, Lord, don't make this exciting, but Lord, remind me that you have saved me. Lord, remind me that you have redeemed me. Lord, let me experience your salvation anew this morning. That's what the psalmist tells us in verse 8. Taste and see. Experience that the Lord is good. But you know, there's more that God wants for us than just our initial salvation. God also wants you to know Him. And to know Him intimately. Think back when you first met your spouse. Think back to the time when you were first dating and getting to know each other. There was an experience for sure, an excitement and maybe butterflies in your stomach. There was, there was this, this thrill of dating a new person or, or possibly even into your engagement and into your marriage and the first year of your marriage and the honeymoon period and all of the excitement and the experience that surrounds that. But imagine then that you stopped your learning of your spouse the day you got married. Okay, I've had enough now. I know you well enough and we're good. How, how would your marriage turn out? Here's a story of an old man who, who for, for 60 years of marriage never once told his wife that he loved him. And one day, finally, someone, someone asked, why don't you ever tell your wife that you love her? And he said, I told her the day we got married, and if I change my mind, I'll let her know. You know? Some of us approach our relationship with God that way, don't we? God, I'm saved, and I I experienced salvation, and now I'm good. No, God says, I want you to know me more. I want you to grow in your knowledge of me. I want you to, to trust me every step of the way. That's why in Psalm 34, verse 4, the psalmist tells us, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Lord, I I looked for you. I continued to pursue you. I wanted to know more and more about who you are. If we want to be excited about our faith, we have to continually not only experience God and salvation, remind ourselves of our salvation, but we have to yearn and seek after him. Lord, I want to know you. Notice he says, he answered me. You know what the word answered implies? that this writer had questions. Lord, I want to know more about this. I need you to tell me more about this. I've got questions that I don't know and understand, and so I'm seeking you. I want to know more about who you are. I want to see your glory more fully each day. The psalmist not only says, I've got questions and you answered, but I have fears. God, I've got worries and concerns. I'm not sure how things will turn out in my life. And there's this promise that as he sought the Lord, the Lord over time has delivered him from all his fears. I'm still imperfect and I still have a lot of fears and and anxieties and things about faith or life and, and questions I have unanswered. And I will continue to have these questions and fears. But can I tell you, as a believer, you should have more confidence in your salvation and more confidence in God the longer you study his word and know him. The promise here is that if you seek the Lord, you will know Him and be delivered. God wants you. God wants you to know Him. And all of that is before we ever set foot in the worship service on Sunday morning, isn't it? All of this is on our own time. And now, God not only wants you to experience and know Him, but ultimately that will lead us to worship Him. 
And God wants you to worship him. God's desire is that you come with with your experience in salvation, knowing your faith, growing in your knowledge of him, wanting to know more, learning more about who he is, and that leads you then to worship corporately on Sunday morning or sitting at your desk on Monday. And that leads you to worship him not only at church, but but day to day in your lives. That's why the, the first three verses talk about this worship the psalmist writes i will bless the lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth verse 3 says oh magnify the lord with me let us exalt his name together there's this vibrant exciting worship that the psalmist writes about but really this worship is is a culmination of the psalmist's experience in salvation and is knowing more about who God is. You see, God wants us to worship Him, but we typically show up on Sunday morning without the reminder of our experience in salvation and without our day-to-day seeking the Lord, and we show up and try to worship and just can't quite get it out. The excitement isn't there. We find ourselves bored in worship. So how do we transition? Well, I think the answer can be found in another familiar verse. In Joshua chapter 24, we we read about the Israelites having uh, conquest the land that they were promised. They have defeated their enemies and they are settling in the promised land. And at the end of Joshua, their leader, Joshua, reminds them that the battle is only beginning. That there will be temptation to worship other gods and and other deities. There will be temptation to stray away from their saving faith. There will be temptation to forget about the knowledge of who God is. And in verse 24, he asks them to make an important decision. He says in verse 15 of chapter 24, Choose this day whom you will serve. And he says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is a great question, and and asked in a vacuum, it really presents us with a a difficult decision. This verse, just in general, probably leads us to kind of weigh our options. Choose this day whether you will serve God or whether you will serve false gods. Choose for you whether you will worship truly or forget about what God has done. And if we just say make a decision, what we find ourselves deciding is to sleep in. When we are faced with this question, choose for you this day who you will serve, we find ourselves abandoning church for our own activities. When we're asked this question in a vacuum, choose today, we say it's just one day. It's not all that exciting and there's something better going on over here. We would like to answer, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But how many times do we come, even sit in this worship service and we don't serve and worship God at all. See, Joshua asked this question. He could confidently answer, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord because all of chapter 24 is building up to this moment of worship. Joshua starts off by saying, long ago, in verse 2, long ago there was a man named Terah who lived among pagan gods and he had a son named Abraham and God spoke to Abraham. God called Abraham and promised him to to be the father of of many nations, to have innumerable offspring. And so to Abraham, he gave one legitimate son. 
Isaac. Just one. But to Isaac, he gave Jacob and Esau. And while he put Esau over here with these people, he used Jacob to have 12 children who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Through God's goodness and providence, he saved them in a time of famine and he sent them to Egypt where there was food. God is good to them. He provides for them. So they moved to Egypt, Jacob and his family. As they are there in Egypt, hundreds of years pass and and they become this, this great family and this great nation of people. And they become under slavery in Egypt. And Joshua reminds them, remember when you were in Egypt and God sent Moses. Remember your darkest time when God sent a deliverer. He went and he, he talked to Pharaoh and God sent ten plagues. You remember how good God was to spare you from the Egyptians. And then as you ran away from Egypt, you came up to a riverbank. It says, do you remember when you came up to the, the Red Sea and the Egyptians were following you to kill you? And God miraculously blinded the Egyptians and let you walk across the Red Sea on dry land. You remember how God delivered you and then brought you to this promised land where there were, there were people larger than you, physically and in number. Do you remember how it was impossible for you to have this land and yet here you stand that God has been good to you? You see, all of chapter 24, Joshua is reminding them, do you remember what God has done? Do you remember how he has saved you? Do you remember what he's brought you out of? Do you remember that dark time in your life? when you thought there was no hope? Do you remember when you felt abandoned and alone? Remember when you thought death was at your door? Do you remember how God was with you? Oh, taste and see, I feel Joshua saying. Taste and see what the Lord has done for you, that the Lord is good. With that context, do you remember what God has done for you? Joshua asks the question, choose today then, because of your experience of salvation, because of the knowledge you have of his repeated goodness, choose for you today who you will serve. Knowing that, knowing what God has done for me, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It was R.C. Sproul who, who had a quote somewhere along the lines of this. It's really hard to be bored when you're in awe. I think sometimes we lose our awe of God and forget what He has done because we invert our worship. Instead of relying on the salvation and remembering our experience in Christ, instead of taking time to grow in our faith and know God more on our own, we just show up on Sunday morning forgetting about what God has done and wondering why we can't experience God the way we think we should. I think we lose our awe when we try to do this backwards. God doesn't want you to show up on Sunday morning and be excited. God wants you to be excited before you show up on Sunday morning. God doesn't want you to to know more about him strictly from a sermon once a week. God wants you to know more about him because you're seeking him day by day. God doesn't want to save you because you had some warm, bubbly feeling in a pew. God wants you to, to surrender your life to him and experience true salvation in Christ. And I promise, when you do, when you taste 
and see the goodness of God, you will burst out spontaneously in worship. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you have an awe of God this morning? Let's pray together. Father, I'm so grateful and I'm thankful for your goodness to us. Lord, it's written in your word to remind us how you cared for your people. We read about your your son, Jesus Christ, dying on a cross for our sins. Lord, we have salvation that we don't deserve. We have forgiveness that, that we have not earned. Lord, you have given us more than what we deserve. Lord, we thank you that we have been able to taste and see you in salvation and experience you. Lord, we're convicted because we show up for worship on Sunday mornings and we're we're missing our knowledge of you. We've forgotten who you are. We've not studied your word through the week. We've not sought you to answer our questions. We've not turned to you Monday through Saturday. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us. Lord, we know the more we read and know about who you are, the more awe we have, and the more we enter into this time of corporate worship with genuine, heartfelt, loving worship. Lord, we pray that you would give us a sense of awe again of who you are and what you have done. Lord, we worship you now in this moment because we have tasted and we have seen your goodness. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.